Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, listener. I'm glad you're here. Take a seat. Next to the fire. Welcome to Obscura where we shine a light on the dark. Jennifer, it's now been a full 24 hours since this crash was first reported, and authorities still are not releasing the names of these five people who were killed after they drove off that cliff in Mendocino County. I spoke with California Highway Patrol. These are their pictures. They tell me a 2003 GMC SUV was driving south on Highway 1 yesterday. It pulled into a dirt turnout, and then for reasons they still don't know, it drove directly off this cliff. It plunged about 100 feet down onto the rocks of the ocean below. You can see from this picture the vehicle landed on its roof. This fall killed all five people, and the three children on board were ejected. I talked to a woman who owns a house right by where this happened. She said she wasn't there at the time, but she thought the crash is strange because the turnoff is so large. You can see that in these pictures from Google Street View. March 26, 2018, in the late afternoon, the California Highway Patrol was called out to a crash site on U.S. Highway 101 in the affluent Mendocino County town of Westport, California. 100 feet down a jagged cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean sat a 2003 GMC Yukon SUV registered to Jennifer Jean Hart, or Jen as she was called. Upon closer inspection, it was discovered the SUV held an entire family, but not just any family. This was a family affectionately known as the Hart Tribe by their friends and by their community. The Hart tribe made a striking impression everywhere they went. It was comprised of Jen and Sarah Hart, two married women, and their six adopted transracial children. At the time of their deaths, Jen and Sarah were both 38 years old. Their oldest child, Marcus, was 19, followed by Hannah, 16, Devante, 15, Jeremiah, and Abigail, both 14, and their youngest child, Sierra, who was only 12. Having driven down to California from their picturesque two-acre piece of land in Washington State, the Hart family apparently homeschooled their children so they could offer them a nomadic lifestyle filled with on-the-go education, activism, and political awareness. They often volunteered together to help feed and clothe the homeless. The children, who were always well-behaved and often dressed identically, made a striking photographic impression. Jen's body was discovered in the driver's seat, with her seatbelt still intact. Her wife, Sarah, was found in the back cargo area, unrestrained. Three of the children were found outside the vehicle on the rough shoreline. A few weeks later, a body of a fourth child was recovered from the rough surf. 
Two of their other children would be declared missing and presumed dead. The presumption would be fortuitous, as months after the fatal crash, a foot washed up on the shoreline near the crash site. That foot was eventually, through DNA testing, identified as belonging to 16-year-old Hannah Hart. The body of the sixth child, Devante, was suspected of being pulled out to sea. Nearly a year after the crash, in April of 2019, young Devante would be officially pronounced dead after a verdict from a public coroner's inquest. Immediately following the crash, there was a makeshift memorial on the jagged cliffside where the Hart tribe plunged to their deaths. On the ground near the cliff were stuffed animals, brightly colored spinning windmills, heart-shaped rock designs, and cards expressing sympathy from the Hart's close friends as well as from their community. In fact, it would be these close friends who would spend weeks combing the shoreline, looking for the missing members of the Hart tribe. This story of the family's accident caught the media's attention when one of the Hart's six adopted children was recognized as the boy from the famous Ferguson Hug photograph. Devante Hart, who was 12 years old at the time, famously stood wearing a fedora hat, a face streaming with tears, and a free hug sign hanging from around his neck. The hug took place at the Ferguson Rally in Portland, Oregon, on November 25, 2014. When White Officer Sergeant Brett Barnum noticed the tearful child, he motioned him closer, and the two embraced in an extended hug that was caught by a freelance photographer. The photo, dubbed the hug felt around the world, immediately went viral and was shared over a half a million times on Facebook. Offers came from national TV shows such as Good Morning America and the Today Show to fly the family out for personal in-studio interviews. Well, on that day, we were having our rally in Portland for the Ferguson decision, and we were trying to provide a minimal police presence, but yet provide an avenue of safety for our community members to vent their frustrations and their concerns. My colleague and I, Brian, we noticed that uh, uh, Devante was in the crowd in and amongst uh, what ended up being some of his other siblings. They all had signs, and some said a variety of different things, but the one that we really kind of got a chuckle out of was Devante's sign, which was fairly large, and it said, Free Hugs. And then uh, as he got a little bit closer, he turned towards us and, and I, I noticed tears flowing out of his eyes. And I said to Brian, I said, hey, I'm going to call him over here and see what's wrong. He shook my hand. I introduced myself. Hey, my name's Brett. What's your name? He told me Devante. And we started talking. And the first question I asked him is, why are you crying? And uh, I said, is everything okay? And he said he was sad. And he talked about being sad about a protest, uh, kind of about a national events. And so, you know, for a kid, uh, which I perceived he was 10 to 12 years old, that's, that's a pretty big pill to swallow and a lot to, to process. Um, and so I wanted to bring him back to a kid level and just reassure him that everything was going to be okay. And, and really all I could do was apologize. Um, and hopefully my apology was going to be enough to help satisfy him to show him that I do care. And I just kind of sighed and said, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I looked down at a sign which he had set down on the ground and it, it was facing straight up and it said free hugs on it. And it was just, it was an opportunity that I couldn't resist and couldn't miss. And I just pointed down to a sign and said, hey, can I have one of those? And he just looked at me with these big wide eyes and just grabbed hold of me. And I think at that moment in time, the picture that is out floating around on the internet um, and throughout the world, I think that just caps captured the moment. Um, so apropos of what not only the community is asking for what the nation is asking for, but what the world is asking for right now. I mean, every time you read a newspaper, turn on the TV, there's some sort of death and destruction going on in the world. And to be able to 
you know, turn on your homepage on your computer or turn on your TV and see this photo. It's just like, finally, some peace. Yeah, it's pretty emotional. Um, I had no real idea that he was crying that hard when he was on my shoulder because my head was over the top of his, wearing a big helmet. And, and, you know, he turned around, picked up a sign, he walked back to his mom. I looked to his mom and she was approaching me. And what really got to me at that point in time was she shook my head and said, thank you. He really needed that. Jen, who was a strong proponent of the Black Lives Matter movement, often spoke out about the subject on her personal Facebook page. However, she shunned the national attention, declining all offers under the guise of protecting the privacy of her children. Jen was quoted as saying her son worried about the dangers when he grows up, just quote, for simply being. Others were critical of the photo, saying it didn't represent the reconciliation between law enforcement and the lives of black people but rather it represented the depth of trauma felt by the black community from law enforcement, a trauma born from fear of losing their lives at the hands of those who were supposed to protect all citizens equally. The press wanted to portray the photo as a symbol of hope and change to come in the light of a controversial Ferguson decision. The photo's detractors felt it showed an unrealistic portrayal that black people have nothing to fear from law enforcement, especially in the light of statistics that prove otherwise. There were many who believed the photo was staged in order to push a false narrative that racism was no longer an issue in our society. Even Saturday Night Live did a satirical reenactment of the photo, with an Al Sharpton lookalike walking the streets of New York offering free hugs to officers wherein he was repeatedly rejected. It was this type of debate over the photo that prompted the seemingly protective Jen Hart to recoil from the publicity. However, others viewed her decisions differently. They believe Jen shunned the publicity for personal, darker reasons. Reasons that would spark a debate between the supporters of the Hart tribe and from law enforcement alike. Many in attendance at the Ferguson rally that day saw a small and terrified boy who was repeatedly ordered to approach various police officers by his demanding mother. Over and over, she commanded him to approach different motorcycle officers and each time he would cry and retreat. When he finally approached Sergeant Barnum, his tears weren't in support of a movement They were born out of fear for his own personal safety, or perhaps fear of his own mother. As we take a moment's pause in the middle of our exploration of the dark corners of humanity, let's explore a different kind of mystery. One that takes you back to the roaring 1920s with June's Journey. In this hidden object game, you slip into the role of June Parker, tasked with unraveling the murder mystery of her sister. Each scene is meticulously designed, filled with hidden clues that lead you deeper into a storyline, riddled with danger, romance, and scandalous family secrets. I've personally ventured through the ornate parlors of New York to the charming streets of Paris within this game, each chapter peeling back layers of a complex narrative that's as engaging as it is visually stunning. Beyond just solving mysteries, June's journey invites you to escape into an era of opulence as you build and customize your very own estate island. It's the perfect blend of challenge and relaxation that I find incredibly refreshing, especially after delving into the often intense themes of our podcast. For those of you who thrive on solving puzzles and uncovering stories, June's journey offers a chance to channel your inner detective. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. Step into June's shoes and help her solve the ultimate mystery. 
Can you uncover the truth behind her sister's tragic demise? Now, let's dive back into our own mysterious journey here on Obscura. Stay tuned and keep your wits about you. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventure, and the challenges she overcame. The book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Personally, I love my life in a book. I tried it with my mom, and I've heard stories I'd never heard before because, you know, they just never came up naturally in conversation. It's easy to use, and my favorite part is it's given me more of an excuse to talk to my mom more. You know, it's not always easy to come up with those on your own. Listener, check out mylifeinabook.com and use code OBSCURA at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code OBSCURA for 10% off today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Eagle, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly, it's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally, they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com slash obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash obscura. Days after the crash, the Hart family supporters were planning a public memorial for the family. Despite rising media claims that the crash might not have been an accident, People Magazine quoted a friend of the Hart stating Jen does this thing for her Facebook page, where the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. Others came forward to say Jen referred to her children as animals and saw herself as their savior. 
There were allegations that Jen was a controlling narcissist and saw the children as props for her special brand of performance wokeness. Others said they heard her call her children by racial slurs. Spiritual and enlightened, Jen reportedly saw herself as the epitome of love and light. Her Facebook page portrayed her homeschooled brood as advanced and engaged, often describing her children as special needs crack babies who grew out of their cognitive deficiencies and physical limitations with nothing more than sunshine, fresh air, and love. She carefully curated her Facebook page to include daily encounters with overt racism that were dealt with wisdom and clarity by her verbally advanced children, children whom she insisted came to her without speech or with limited vocabularies only filled with expletives. All of Jen's Facebook posts showed snippets of conversations with her children, reminiscent of dialogue found in formulaic 90s sitcoms. She shared conversations with children who appeared politically minded, even Gandhi-like in their understanding of philosophy and the deeper meanings of life. After the presidential election in 2016, Jen shared the following conversation between herself and her children. Election Night Sunset Talks 2016 I was recording the sunset tonight and caught this conversation. My heart. Devante, I wish I could vote. Jen, you vote every day. Jeremiah? Huh. Jen, you vote with your actions, your bravery to stand up for what you believe in, and you vote with how you choose to spend or not spend your money. You vote by being strong and confident to be yourself in a world that can crush the strongest of character by manipulation and fear. Devante, did you follow your heart with your vote? Jen, well yes, but I took the knowledge I had and combined it with what my heart feels. The best decisions are always made, boys interrupt, J plus D together, when the brain is connected to the heart and they are working together. Devante, we know. Jeremiah, you remind us a lot. Jen, when you are old enough to vote in an election, never let anyone shame you for whatever choice you make. Jeremiah, what happens if Trump wins? Jen, no matter what happens tonight, this same sun we're watching right now will rise and set again tomorrow. And we still have tons of work to do, whether it's Hillary or Donald. We think big and act local. Devante. And build bridges, not walls. Jen. Most definitely, we've got this. This post was attached to a picture of Jen on a lake shoreline, taken from behind, sitting in between Devante and Jeremiah, seemingly in the midst of a deep conversation. Her Facebook page continually portrayed the Hart family as a modern-day Brady Bunch, crossed with the Huxtables. Jen's posts weren't just limited to politics. She often chose the subject of racism, since she supposedly encountered overt racists at every turn. Another post in July of 2017 reads, Books, books, books. My kids love to read. All of them. Sometimes they go through dozens of books a week, we frequent thrift shops so the kids can pick out their next round of wondrous brain fuel. Today, kids rummaging through piles of books. Woman, there's a bunch of kids' books down there. Son one. Oh, thank you. I'm more interested in this section. Woman, glances at the book in his hand. I don't think your mom and dad would approve of those. I'm standing right there, by the way, and one of the books he's holding is... Another bullshit night in Suck City. Me, resisting the urge for a high five. Yep, that's true. Woman, 
Well, I never. They are too young to be exposed to adult literature. Red face. Thank goodness we have a president fighting this liberal mentality, ruining our children. They are banned and burned books for a reason. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Family. Laughing emojis. Son, too. Oh, man. Censorship. Sigh. It's not porn. We're all teenagers. It's actually a pretty good read. It's a memoir. We don't have to get that today, because we already have it at home. I'm thankful for having the freedom to read all kinds of subject matter. Looks at me with a small grin. You'd think this would be an isolated type of experience, but similar encounters happen quite often. People assume some of the kids are a lot younger than they are because of their small stature. This apparently gives them an all-access pass to parent our children. I attribute the kids' love for reading to the fact that they've had the freedom to choose interests and seek knowledge and entertainment that suits them. You don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. Ray Bradbury. Hashtag, never stop reading. Listener. Did this incident really take place in real life? Or was it a made-up story to go with a quote Jen stumbled across? Then there is the issue of the small stature of the kids. Despite their ages, the children all looked much younger. Jen insisted this was due to the fact that they were born as quote, crack babies, and to their all-organic and vegan diet. Yet, at the time of the accident, the Hart family had a refrigerator filled with meat and dairy products. In fact, it was obsessively neat and filled with non-organic and non-vegan food. Facebook played a large part in Jen's daily life. She used it as a journal to chronicle the lives of her family. It was an online existence that we now know had zero basis in reality. Jen's Facebook family was a figment of her imagination. She would stage photos of her children lined up and often meditating in identical poses. As any parent can tell you, getting a photo where all kids are smiling or perfectly posed at the same time is a statistical anomaly. Jen's Facebook wall was littered with photo after photo of all six children lined up with chickens on their heads, or eating watermelon. Whether conscious or not, Jen peppered in her own inherent racist views, and often stereotypes into her own photographs. One photo, entitled, Our Version of Chicken and Waffles, showed the children holding plates filled with uneaten waffles as they balanced chickens on their heads. Missing in the photo were condiments and utensils. One of Jen's favorite poses seemed to be all of the children photographed from the back, holding hands at the sunset, often in front of scenic backdrops such as lakes or mountains. The Hart family seemed to live a life of complete contradiction to the way Jen had portrayed them on social media. Many horrible realities of the Hart family would come to light in the days and weeks following the crash. The truth comes out. While most of the Hart's friends continued to insist the fatal crash was an accident, there were some friends, acquaintances, and even neighbors who felt otherwise. Sarah Hart, who worked out as a store manager at Kohl's, had apparently given her co-workers cause for concern. The day before the Hart's crash, there was a 911 call for a welfare check on Sarah Hart and her family. And who are we checking on? Uh, Sarah Hart. And how are you related to her? Uh, just friends. Tell me the reason that we're checking on her again. Um, she sent out a text message at 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning stating that she was sick, but nobody's been able to hold, get a hold of her or 
talked to her or seen her since that text message. Okay. Or her wife, which is Jen. So we're just concerned. Okay, and did she say, when she said she was sick, did she say what was going on, or? She just said that she just is unable to to come out and wasn't able to go to work and thought she was going to have to go to the doctor. Um, I checked the hospital, so they didn't have any record of her. And I think her phone is now dead. And what is her uh, phone number? Okay. And just the two of them live there, or? Uh, and they have six children. Apparently, Sarah's co-workers were concerned for her and for the well-being of her children. Just days before their crash, Sarah allegedly told co-workers she had regretted adopting so many children and even stated she wished someone had told her she didn't have to have such a large family. The source of Sarah's recent stress seemed to have come from their neighbors who had reported the family to Child Protective Services. As a same-sex couple with biracial children, Sarah told her work friends that the reports were due to bigotry and racism. She said the neighbors next door to their new home didn't approve of a same-sex couple and obviously didn't want to live next door to a diverse family. Sarah's assertion, however, would soon be easily debunked. In the weeks leading up to the crash, it is documented that 15-year-old Hannah Hart had jumped out of a bedroom window and ran to the new neighbors for help some kids that I feel is being highly abused and I hey, can't wait until month in uh, Woodland, Washington. What's the address? Okay, I'm going to give you the address of my daughter's house because it's right next door. Okay, and what's going on there? Well, they have four black children, which that part doesn't matter, and they're, they're new here in Texas, but the other night a little girl jumped out of the second story window on the roof and then down onto the ground and ran to my daughter, and this is like 2 in the morning, begging them to help her, to help her. When did that happen? Uh, about three, four nights ago. Okay. And my son-in-law doesn't want to get involved, but the more I sit on it, I, I just can't live with it. Somebody's got to okay. go there and check and on And so kids. how old was the little kid that did that, that ran to your daughter's house? About 12 years old, 13. And when they came looking for her, she was begging my daughter not to let them know she was there. And then eventually my son-in-law let them know. And then she had all four of the kids come back later and to say everything was okay. And they were all standing at attention like they were just scared to death. And I think there's something very serious going on there. And they're here from Texas. The kids might even be kidnapped. Okay. And um, so, did the girl ever say why she was scared? No, she uh, she was crying, and, and and it was two in the morning. And my daughter said the biggest problem was she's half awake. She couldn't believe what was going on, and okay. and and basically, my son-in-law is like most people; they don't want to get involved, and so he's keeping my daughter out of it, but since she's told me about it, I just can't live with it. I'm very concerned for these kids. I just can't let this go any longer. Those kids, I think, is in very serious danger. Hannah Hart had jumped out of the second story window and begged the neighbors for safety. She wasn't 12 or 13. She was in fact 15 at the time. 
missing her two front teeth, and at just 50 pounds, she weighed what a typical seven-year-old should weigh. In August 2017, the DeKalb family knew very little about their new next-door neighbors. A few months prior, a realtor had told them about a family with, quote, lots of kids and lots of animals would be moving in next door to their two-and-a-half-acre property. Their home and the Hart home shared a driveway, but the only people they saw at the house were Jen and Sarah, and once they saw two small black boys taking out the trash, they didn't think the children were enrolled in school, as they never seemed to leave their home. The DeKalbs never saw any animals or other children prior to that fateful night when Hannah reached out for help. At 1.30 a.m., Bruce and Dana DeKalb were awakened from a deep sleep when a small, unfamiliar girl appeared at their front door, wrapped in a blanket, begging them to hide and protect her. The little girl explained her mothers were abusive and racists. She stated her mothers beat her with a belt and called her racist names. Before the couple had time to respond, Anna ran past them, up their stairs, and hid behind a bed. Bruce DeKalb heard the hearts outside searching for their daughter and went to tell them she was inside their home and safe. Upon Bruce's disclosure, Jen immediately, just as Hannah had moments before, walked straight into the DeKalb home and began talking to Hannah. She asked Dana DeKalb to leave them alone so she could talk to her daughter in private. Jen and Hannah walked out a few minutes later and went back to their own home next door. The next day, Jen and the children marched over in a single-file line to the DeKalb home. Hannah presented Bruce and Dana with an apology letter, stating that she lied and that sometimes she gets upset with her brothers. Despite being 15, Jen told them she was 12 and had been a, quote, drug baby, born to a bipolar mother. They also told their new neighbors their children were being homeschooled because they had been bullied for being biracial. Jen had Hannah promise the DeKalbs it would never happen again. The entire family then marched back home with military precision. The DeKalb suspected something wasn't right with the family, but they wouldn't know just how right they were until almost a year later. Well, I mean, you know, we had an incident before with um, an evening uh, situation that made Dana very concerned about what was going on next door. And then about a week ago or so, um, one of the children came over and started uh, asking for food. And it went on for a period of time until we kind of determined that he was probably reaching out. And we determined to, that we should call the Child Protective Services, and that's what we did on Friday. He said he was asking for a lot of food. Yeah, a lot of food. I mean, it started, it, it started out, out very, yeah. Tortillas, and it ended up a case of food. Um, multiple, you know, cured meats. Um, non-perishable food items right. and was asking that we not tell his mom and to you know hide it and put it by the fence so he could get to it and that they were withholding food from him as punishment oh it was, was, was Devante you guys have shown us pictures and we've talked about that one that it was Devante for sure you tell me you were a little surprised when he said he was 15 because he was small well they were all small I mean the, the one girl who was 12. 12 looked like she was 7. Both of her teeth were missing, front teeth, and we questioned, you know, what's up with the teeth thing? And they said, well, she didn't want them replaced. We thought that was a little weird. But anyway, they were all very small. Very thin yeah. and, and tiny. 
Jennifer we only met Jennifer once, and that was um, in re- reference to the incident with Hannah. Right. Um, she only was here that next morning one time. Uh, I met with Jennifer a couple of times in regards to sharing the driveway, and she wasn't friendly at all. She was mean. 1.30 in the morning, the doorbell's ringing. And I answered She's the door, and, and uh, she was standing out there with uh, in a, uh, a blanket, uh, completely covered in blackberries, because she had gone to that neighbor's house through the blackberries, and then they have a gate that locks that, so she ended up back over on our front uh, doorstep. And at the time, I didn't know what to do, so I... What'd she say? Uh, she said that uh, they, well, she said that she wanted us to take her to Seattle and that uh, yeah, they weren't her treating back. her right. Don't, don't, uh, you know, make her go back. But, you know, kids can do stuff that, uh, sometimes when they're a certain age. They run away from home and stuff like that. So by that time, they were all out looking for her with flashlights. And so we got, tried to get some story as to what was going on. And, of course, they told us what we wanted to hear, I guess, and life went on for another eight months. And it, here we are today. I did. Well, once she heard they were when from West When I saw that West it Lynn, said three women from, or two women from Westland and three kids, my gut was it was them. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just knew it was them. Um, probably because the fact that they took off and never came back and they aren't people that usually leave anywhere. Um, probably because I really believe they were evil. Sure. The only time you saw... Devante was pretty much the only one we ever saw outside, and he was doing chores. Yeah. That was the only time. He did there the garbage no and raked the leaves and and all, you know, stuff like that. But anybody else other than that night? Because they all came over the next morning with a, uh, you know... With a story. A story. And Devante told us that they had lied and made us, just to make us feel good that everything Hannah told us was true. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Despite these new disclosures, Friends of the Heart social media pages still insisted the crash was an accident. They were insisted that the DeKalbs were lying. In fact, they knew they were lying as evidenced by the DeKalbs' allegation that Devante was requesting cured meats, when it was well known that Hearts followed a strictly organic vegan diet. One friend stated, quote, I'd also like to add that I have had CPS called on me as well at one point. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have been abusive, neglectful, or a bad parent. It could easily just mean that someone resents or even hates you enough to try to undermine the thing you care about the most in the world, decides to make a simple phone call. It's that easy. The media takes slices of the truth and sensationalizes them, because it's what they've learned gets them an audience. I personally choose the way the truth of my own experience in my heart, as I hope you all will too. Another friend took to social media to combat the negative portrait being painted about the friends she was sure she knew. Her post reads in part, A letter to the media and the world at large. The world as I knew it changed on Monday with the discovery that my friend, Jen Hart, 
Her wife, Sarah, and their six children passed away after their vehicle drove off a cliff in California. My heart broke. I feel the world has continued to crumble as a result of media speculation, rumors, and unsubstantiated claims. The inaccuracies of the reports I'm reading are breaking me. This is not the Jen I know, not the family the world knows. I know that Jen and Sarah Hart adopted six children, two sets of three siblings from uncommonly bad situations. Their problems ran the gamut. They'd seen violence, been abused, been starved and neglected. Some were born addicted to drugs. Their food insecurities before adoption led to food hoarding and stealing issues. That's what happens when you don't know if you'll be fed again. These kids faced unimaginable traumas. These kids had lost faith in people and had no ability to trust. They were developmentally behind and unable to manage behaviors. They were on medications and weren't receiving proper care. Recently, there have been allegations that, if true, still make sense for children who were born into traumatic, food-insecure situations, and allegations that contradict everything I have ever known about the family. My Jen is kind, compassionate, strong, loving woman who did everything to be genuinely herself, even when that meant taking the road less traveled. She was a lesbian from a small town in South Dakota. She and her wife had a loving, long-term marriage. As a gay couple, they adopted older kids groups of siblings so they didn't have to be separated. Children that were black and therefore didn't look like them. Children who came from a really rough background. They never made a choice because it was easy. They made it because it was right. This family was amazing. This couple was the example of marriage and parenting that I looked to and wanted to emulate. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. And maybe there is more to this than I know. But the media and the neighbors who are being interviewed are presenting a very dark picture of a family that brought so much compassion and happiness to this world. They are looking for a story, looking for the worst because that is what gets readers. Unsubstantiated, out-of-context claims are creating a story that doesn't deserve to exist. Unfortunately for Jen's supporters, the reports weren't exaggerated. They weren't unsubstantiated, and they weren't taken out of context. In fact, as the truth was revealed, the true story behind the happy, smiling heart tribe would paint a far uglier picture. The Journey to the End It turns out the Hart family had a history of moving from state to state with their children in tow in order to avoid repeated allegations of child abuse and neglect. The family's recent move to Washington was to avoid the charges they faced in Oregon. Before that, the family had moved to Oregon from Minnesota, where they'd adopted two separate sibling groups. While residing in Oregon, the Department of Human Services received an anonymous complaint that the children appeared to be underweight and undernourished. The caller also mentioned that family cars still had Minnesota license plates. Unlike a criminal database, there isn't a national registry for child abuse allegations or even convictions. Feasibly, somebody could move state to state as the Hearts did, keeping what seemed to be a clean slate despite the numerous complaints. However, in this instance, the savvy Oregon caseworker contacted the state of Minnesota and was able to obtain reports of past allegations of abuse. The Minnesota counterpart reported the Harts had resided in Sarah's home state of Minnesota. From records, it appeared that Jen Hart had adapted the first sibling group as a single mother. The children, Marcus, Abigail, and Hannah, were adopted through an out-of-state program with the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, after their bipolar mother's parental rights were severed. 
We're going to call these siblings the S Group. The S Group's mother was mentally ill and unable to properly care for her children. At a picnic, one child was bitten hundreds of times by red ants. Another child developed pneumonia so severe that the child's pediatrician ordered the mother to take her to the hospital. When the child failed to show up for another checkup, the doctor, a mandatory reporter, notified the Department of Social Services. The mother was arrested and the children were placed in foster care, as what we will find out later was the custom and practice of many Texas caseworkers. The S Group's mother was offered a deal. She was told that her children's foster family wanted to adopt them and would provide them with a better and stable home. The S Group's mother was also told that the criminal charges against her would be dropped if she voluntarily agreed to sever her parental rights. So she signed. Except that wasn't true. The foster family didn't want to adopt her children. Instead, the Texas caseworker listed the sibling group as available for adoption with an agency in Minnesota. This is when Jen Hart adopted the three children in 2006. The state of Texas also provided monthly support to the adoptive family of the children. The amounts vary, but in total, it appears the Harts were paid over $3,000 per month, thus allowing Jen to become the primary caregiver and stay-at-home mom. In 2008, the police in Alexandria, Minnesota, received a call about a six-year-old girl with visible bruises. The child had told school officials that her mother, Jen Hart, had beaten her with a belt. It was also reported that the child was always hungry and would go through school trash or steal food from other children. Jen told the caseworker that her child had been a drug baby who'd been neglected and starved by her previous family. Because of this, she was prone to stealing and hoarding food. Jen assured officials it was an issue she was dealing with. She said she was mystified as to how her child had bruises. However, she did note that the child had recently fallen down eight stairs a few days earlier. A review of these records indicated that the case was closed and that the allegations were determined to be unfounded. Life continued for the family in Minnesota until February 2009, when Jen adopted another siblings group, Jeremiah, Sierra, and Devante, were also adopted from the state of Texas. We will call this sibling group the D group. However, the adoption was not yet finalized. As it appeared, there was a blood relative who wanted to adopt the children. The group was originally a total of four children. However, Jen decided she only wanted to adopt the younger three children. These children were born to a mother who was addicted to crack cocaine. They also experienced broken bones and other signs of physical trauma. This mother also agreed to sever her parental rights to avoid prosecution. However, she only did so with the understanding that an aunt of the children would be allowed to adopt them. The aunt, Miss Celestine, had moved to a larger home and had the children for almost four months. Later, during an unplanned home inspection, the caseworker found that Miss Celestine was at work and had left the children in the care of her daughter. The daughter, in turn, asked the children's biological mother to watch them for a few hours. Since this was a clear violation of the placement condition, the children were removed from Miss Celestine's care. The caseworker asked a judge to deny the petition to adopt, and the children were then placed with the Hart family, while Texas dealt with the appeals. The appeal was still pending in late 2010 when one of the children's teachers reported that Abigail Hart was covered in bruises on her stomach and back. Abigail had also been going through the garbage at school looking for food. She told her teacher that her mother, Jen Hart, had hit her head against a wall. Abigail was photographed with bruising from her mid-back down to her upper buttocks. She also had bruising on her sternum, 
The mothers insisted it was a spanking that got out of control. They explained that the incident occurred over a penny found in Abigail's pocket. The child insisted she found the penny, but her mothers believed she had stolen it. Because she refused to tell them the truth, Abigail was bent over the bathtub and held under cold water with Jen's hands around her neck and then spanked her with a belt, causing the bruises to her sternum and backside. Despite Abigail's insistence that Jen had caused her injuries, the caseworker allowed Sarah to plead guilty to malicious punishment of a child and misdemeanor domestic assault. It is speculated that Sarah agreed to plead guilty since Jen's adoption of the D-sibling group was still pending. The children's aunt was still fighting the state of Texas for return of the children in the appellate courts. After Sarah was sentenced to community service and one year of probation, the family moved to Oregon for a fresh start. This is also when the children were pulled from public school and from the oversight of mandatory reporters. However, this doesn't prevent other people from noticing that something just isn't right with the family. Not only did the anonymous reports of the child abuse and neglect continue, they became much, much more alarming. And that's it for part one. Part two will be released next week, so you won't have to wait long to hear it. We've got a Q&A episode coming up. If you'd like to ask me any questions, then you can shoot me an email. The email address is justin at obscurecrimepodcast.com. Our Facebook group is also starting to take off. If you'd like to get involved in the discussion, then check us out there. And I think that wraps things up. Thank you for listening, and keep the fire burning. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.